Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our very special guest today is a world-renowned physicist who specializes in the theory and application of quantum physics to spirituality. Dr. Fred Allen Wolf has published a wide range of books, including Dr. Quantum Presents, Taking the Quantum Leap, The Dreaming Universe, and Matter into Feeling. While he still publishes academic papers and teaches, he is especially famous for giving keynote talks in which he uses his knowledge of physics to illuminate the nature of consciousness. Dr. Wolf's talent for simplifying complex concepts made his books highly successful, and his featured appearance in the documentary film, What the Bleep Do We Know?, brought even more attention to his work. He's also known as Dr. Quantum for his extraordinary series, Dr. Quantum Presents a User's Guide to the Universe. And Carol, I know you read most of his books, and we all loved the Dr. Quantum series. Yes, Claire, it was so much fun, and thank you, Dr. Wolf, for joining us. You're very welcome. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, our audience is mostly filmmakers and creatives, so we want to hear about quantum physics and creativity, and we'd love to start with your talent for taking very difficult concepts and explaining them in an entertaining way. So please tell us what was your inspiration for the Dr. Quantum series? Well, I'm going to take you back in time to my early age. Right now I'm 88 years old. And I'm going to take you back to when I was 10. And at that age, I began to develop a very severe stammer. My stammer was so bad that my mother would take me to speech therapists. She took me to the Northwestern University because we lived in Chicago. And one of the guys there, uh, one of the brain specialists, says, oh, we'll drill a hole in his head. And that will stop the stammering. And my mother said, no, we're not going to drill any holes in his head. We don't want to do that. <clears throat> so as a result of the stammering, I began to practice things that would make me speak. And let me make this a first step of creativity. Whenever you have a difficulty, move through the difficulty by trying it as best you can. So what I had was a difficulty speaking. So what did I practice? I practice doing magic tricks because when you do magic tricks, you have to speak to the audience. A lot of what you say is what intrigues the minds of those that are viewing the trick. The trick is just mechanical stuff, but it's what you say that brings their attention to the various things that need to be watched in order to create the illusion. So, by early bringing up as a magician, learning how to speak, turned me into a speaker and in a sense, an artist because I 
who had to be creative to make up these very creative things I was doing with my magic. I also learned to play the harmonica, and I learned to play classical music on the harmonica, so that helped me with my breathing. So all these things that I was doing at an early age were nurturing me to become a public speaker, to become an entertainer, and my curiosity kept me going. And so what I studied in college and <clears throat> afterwards was physics, because physics really interested me. So basically, the inspiration of the Dr. Quantum ideas all came from these very early groundings in my young age. Well, how did you get interested in physics? What um, what touched you, and how? Well, okay, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this question by bringing in another question you're going to ask. I know you're gonna ask this question, so let me tell <laughs> you right now. I'm going to give you the answer to what you're going to ask me because it has <laughs> to do with what you're asking. Okay, so the very the very thing that got me started was my mom took me to a movie. And during the watching of the movie, on the newsreel, they showed the atomic bomb blast at Alamogordo, New Mexico. And, of course, that's where Oppenheimer comes in, which is <laughs> the movie that I know you're going to ask me about. So my first view of the atomic bomb set up a kind of an explosion in my own head. And I began thinking, what the heck is that? How do you do that? I mean, to me, it was just magic, and I love magic. So from magic, I decided, let me learn how you make an atom bomb. Let me learn what is physics, what is the very grounding <clears throat> upon which such things as atom bombs can be made. So that was how I got into studying physics and, naturally, quantum physics. Well, did you was your math good, or did you work uh, hard to have the math to study physics? Was that natural? You know something. That, let me let me explain how to, how math is very natural, and most kids would get it if they have a teacher who is creatively involved in teaching math. I had some very wonderful math teachers when I was in. Uh, when I was going to grade school. And these teachers, this one teacher in particular, I remember, Miss, Mrs. Sims, she had this crazy white hair coming out of her head like Einstein. And <laughs> she, was, she was wonderful. And she would teach me about math. And if you got the right answer, you moved up, and you moved up a couple of seats. You got the wrong answer, you moved back a couple of seats. So there was a challenge going on to get the right answers. So the challenge, the aspect of it, the learning how to put things together, and this is kind of like what magic is all about. Math is like magic. You learn how to do certain things, and once you've learned those various steps, you can use them without having to recreate them every time you use them. So math is really much easier for people if they would be willing to just learn the basics, ABCs, one, two, three, how you add, how you multiply, how you, you have to learn these things. 
And then you begin to understand what math is all about. So for me, it was easy peasy. I had, I had no problem with the math. Oh, that's fabulous, because that daunted many people who wanted to get into uh, some entire mathematical situations. So that's great. But it does all start with your teacher. And uh, so then you went to college and you chose um, physics. Uh, that was your major? My major was uh, what's called engineering physics, because mm-hmm. I'm a kind of a hands-on guy. I like to see whatever I'm creating with my mind, I'd like to see it reach fruition. I want to see something happen. So a lot of my consulting work after I got my PhD was creating programs that could be turned into operations uh, that uh, companies could use. And so that was uh, engineering physics was really what I was into. It wasn't just theoretical physics, pure physics. It was hands-on physics. And I think that's a very important part. Uh, even though I was not a very good experimentalist, I did the thinking that's required in order to create the things that you see in the in the labs, and that's what uh, that was what got me excited. Oh, how exciting! Well, this is what uh, I read about Einstein that he was a big thinker. That's how one of the ways he found, or just that's he had a visual of how he had discovered relativity. Uh, from being on a light beam one time, or that's what I read. So it's thinking. It's the thinking part of it that is so critical to all of us because from the thinking, then you go back into the math. Is that right? Well, it's not you go back into the math. Thinking is math. So okay. when, you're, <clears throat> when you're doing what you're doing, uh, you're, you're using a tool called mathematics, and you're writing – things down on paper, uh, equations and things of that form, <clears throat> which describe the results you expect to see when people experiment, actually get in the lab and do this, do this stuff. So it's, it, 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 it's not a separation between thinking and math. Math is thinking. Uh, right now, you ask me a question. Think about this for a moment. How did you know where to put the words you used in your question in such an order that they made logical sense to you and to me? Think about that. How do you get things in an order in which things make sense? That's mathematics. That is really a mathematical thing you're doing, putting one word after another. But why this word after that word and not this word before that word? That's mathematics. That has to do with something called commutation. And even though we have a funny name for it, it's very much just mathematics. It's practical mathematics because you do it every day because you speak. And uh, remember, uh, I, had, uh, I had problems speaking. I had stammering. So for me, speaking and putting words in the right order and finding the words to put in is very much connected with I guess my mathematical abilities. My goodness, how amazing. Of course, it'd be parallel there in the same concept. Um, this is wonderful. And you, uh, 
after what took you to writing? How did you get started writing uh, books or even get into the movie, What the Bleep? That was such a great film. Well, it's the writing that got me into the bleep. <clears throat> um, first of all, in the 70s, I, <clears throat> I was a very curious person, and I wanted to know more about the world. So while I was a professor at San Diego State University, I had an opportunity to take a sabbatical leave and went around the world, literally went around wow. the world, <clears throat> and stopped off in various places. And each place imbibed me with the culture of that place. So I learned Indian culture. I learned Japanese culture. I learned Thai culture. Uh, I, learned, I, I, I spent a, a good deal of time in Israel, so I learned the Israeli culture. Uh, I, went to, I learned French culture. I went to England. I, all these various countries that I went to, I learned something from them about culture. I also spent about a month in Germany where at that time I was in Berlin, and Berlin was, 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 was surrounded by uh, <clears throat> East Germany and was not a part of West Germany. You had to take a special autobahn road to get from West Germany into Berlin because Berlin was a completely isolated, surrounded like an island city. So mm -hmm. there, there are many things that you pick up and learn when you imbibe in culture of various countries. I, I recommend anybody, if you've never traveled out of this country, get out of this country. Because you're not <laughs> going to really understand this country until you see the world, see other countries. Then you understand what's really great about the country and what stinks about this country. You're not going to see the difference until you get out of the country and see what's really good about what we have here and what's really bad about what could happen if we're not careful. Exactly. If we're not careful, exactly what could happen. You're right. Well, while we're on this, let's go to the film Oppenheimer. What did you think of that, Dr. Wolf? Well, as I said, my first exposure was in, in the in the King the Newsreel with atomic bomb blast. And of course, as I studied quantum physics, I definitely read the work of Robert Oppenheimer. And uh, as I told you, uh, he was a he was a, a professor at, at Berkeley. I was in California at the time, but I was down in, in San Diego. And one of his, actually well before I even got to California, he was a professor at Berkeley, and one of his students was David Bohm. And David Bohm, later on, escaping, the, the there was a big communist scare that was going on in this country when Bohm escaped and went to Brazil and then on to England, where he became a professor. So I studied with him. And through him, I guess, you could pick up some of what Oppenheimer was really all about. Uh, Oppenheimer was an unusual guy. I mean, there's no question about it. He had unusual talent. So it just so happens that not only was he pretty brilliant in figuring out uh, basic physics stuff, but he had an ability to get people to do what he wanted them to do. And that's no easy task. He was also able to get on with the military, which a lot of physicists have a hard time with. Because militar mil militaristic thinking is almost uh, foreign or it, it, it's almost against what you have to think when you're doing physics. 
Anyway, mm-hmm. that's basically it. What I think the film I thought was very well done. Um, I I loved the I like Nolan's I like Nolan's films. I've seen a lot of his films, and I like I like the way he presents. He's a good filmmaker, and he has. Uh, I, I, <laughs> one of the things I envy is is filmmaking. I don't. Did I ever send you the film that I made? I sent no. You a movie. Okay. You didn't get it. You didn't see it, or not? I I know. Uh, no, that was some. I didn't get the uh, the link. Didn't work. But please tell us about it. Oh well, it, it was a movie I made while I was a professor at San Diego State, and uh, I got a bunch of students together, and I just created this uh, mythological story about uh, <laughs> about um, an old man who's walking on the beach. Uh, this was the famous nude beach of. La Jolla, California, <clears throat> and he's wearing clothes, of course, and he has a vision, and in the vision, he sees this godlike creature walking on the beach with an ensemble of characters following him as he walks along the beach, and <clears throat> where he then, somebody, some, something happens, and um, he decides that he can walk on water or do something magical, and he walks onto the water, and suddenly he just disappears. And all the people that he just were following him, they also disappear. And then a moment <laughs> later, he, he, he appears. He just jumps out of the water because he really can't, he's God. He can't, can't really vanish. And he walks into a cave. And when he comes out of the, when he walks into the cave, in the cave, he finds him walking down a hallway into a doorway. And he opens the door and sitting in the hall, sitting in, the, in, in this room is the devil. And the devil is eating as a slave, and the slave he wants is treating like a dog. And when this, our hero, godlike creature, walks into the devil's room, uh, the devil wants to turn him into a dog, and he doesn't want it to have to happen. So he runs to get a, get away from the devil, and um, emerges from the cave and sits down to try to figure out what can he do to create the universe that he had before, all these people and everything. And as time goes on, suddenly he gets an erection. And with the erection, he has, this, by the way, is an old Indian myth. I mean, it sounds pornographic, but it's not. It's really, you'll find palaces all over India. So it's an old Indian myth. And so he has this erection, and suddenly uh, he sees a way, a beautiful woman appears, and he sees a way in which all the people can be created once again. And as we're watching all this, suddenly we come back, and it's the old man who's been creating all this in his own mind. And as the the old man walks off down the beach, there's nothing on the beach but the old man, and the movie ends. Wow. That's really interesting. You were way yeah, ahead of your time with that. Oh, yeah. I'll send it to you if you want. I, I, I thought I did send it to you. Well, yes, I do want to see that. But it sounds uh, Fellini-esque when you're talking about a man walking with an entourage behind him. And that's we love that. That must have been yeah, a great but, shot. Yes, I, I was. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, I had a lot of fun filming it. <clears throat> I only had a Super 8 camera, and I would take shots on the beach, and then I'd climb a hill and take shots looking down. So I had uh, 
shots of uh, overview as well as uh, in long shot, views. right? Yes, long shot, short shot, <clears throat> whatever you call them these days. <clears throat> so, excuse <clears throat> me, my voice is getting horsey. <clears throat> and anyway, um, I had an editor who put this together in a remarkable way. It's too bad you haven't seen it because I think it's fun. Right. Well, uh, this is what filmmaking is all about. It's the creative effort, uh, and that's really what we we want to know from you because you're one of the most creative people on the planet. Is eighteen books, uh, your quantum series, all these things. Every every bit of it is consciousness raising. You're opening our eyes to so many new things. So. Um, let's get back to the quantum series and tell us what anything you can share with us about how you created the quantum series. That was so good. Are you referring to the audio books? Uh, yeah, I love the or, audio. Or no, or I, the I drove around with that in my car for ages. Uh, Dr. Quantum uh, series. You're talking about the audio books now, the one yes. – I did two or three of those. I'm not sure how many. Um, you're talking about those. What yes. is it you would like to know? Uh, how did I do that? Well, you know, what was the inspiration? The inspiration was uh, <laughs> the people from uh, Sounds True uh, contacted me and said, we've seen you in What the Bleep. Would you like to – do an audio book for us. And Dr. Quantum Meets the Universe, or A Guide to the Universe, The User's Guide to the Universe. So I said, okay. So I flew into uh, Boulder, Colorado, where they have their studios. And <clears throat> um, I worked with an engineer there. And uh, because for me, I have to talk to somebody. I, I can't just, I'm one of these people that can't talk to a, a screen. I have to know there's somebody there. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to have that connection for me to become creative. I, that, that's important. For a, to be creative, you have to have some idea of who you're talking to. Who you are, who you, what are you creating for? Creating for yourself, right. for your own amusement? Well, that's stupid because you already know everything. So create it for somebody else. So you have to have somebody else in your mind. So I had a good engineer, and he was interested in what I was doing. So I took a lot of my books and things that I've written and papers and whatever, and I just started winging it. <clears throat> I just started winging it, just telling, telling stories about about what was going on. It was it it didn't have any particular order until it was all finished, and the order just like the movie I made, it just kept popping in. How amazing! Because yeah, I would have thought that it was outlined and scripted and rehearsed. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm sure there are some some directors that work strictly from a script, but I think some of the really good ones quickly they they may have a script, just like I had books and writings, but they quickly jump off the page into working with the artists, getting the actors to perform. After all, these are human beings you're talking to. You've got to work with them. You've got to be interested in how they perform and what what message they're giving. And if it's a message you want them to, to, to portray, 
You've got to know what that message is yourself. So in a certain sense, you want the actor to mimic you, to mimic how you would see that action. So there's a whole kind of mirroring process that goes on and only can take place when you're working with people. Well, I agree 100%, but you must have had a wonderful mixer in that room with you. In other words, you were watching him laugh or smile or, or raise his eyebrows, and that was of your course. feedback? Yeah. Of course, of course. Uh, and whenever I do something, I invariably <clears throat> find something funny in whatever it is I'm saying. Uh, why that comes out as being funny, I don't know, but something weighing... Well, that's a funny thing to say. I think I'll say that. I don't think that, but that's what actually happened. <laughs> it's so good. No, you had us all in stitches. And there's something about getting relaxed when you're li- listening to difficult stuff that makes it easier to absorb. You just more or less relax and get into it. I one day went into a restaurant. A park, I went into the, uh, the parking area, and the, this young college student came running over to park my car. He said, oh, Dr. Quantum. And he started telling me about you and your work. And I thought, how wonderful. You're reaching all of us, you know, for all ages. Loved it. Why would he bring up Dr. Quanta to you parking your car? I don't get where that came from. He, uh, because I had, your, I had your CDs in my car. Oh, they were right okay. in the passenger seat. And he said, oh, oh my he God. Saw that. Oh, I'm a, okay. I, I love him. He started talking quantum physics. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Okay, well, you, you just illustrated a very basic law of physics, cause and effect. The cause was yeah. you had Dr. Quantum on your seat, and he looked at it and saw it, and the effect was, oh, I know who that guy is. All right, I got it. <clears throat> yes. And it was great because of his age. I just you you covered a very wide audience with that. And to think that you did it by just winging it is a is a great comfort to a lot of us because sometimes uh, you go out to make a film or you're working on a project and t- you have paid for the crew and everyone to be there. The sun is going down. You have very little time left. And you you sometimes have to throw everything out and just get the shot. And uh, right. that's when the creativity comes in. So you exactly. were really working only – you must have been right in the stream of creativity when doing this. Yeah, of course. I mean uh... – what better place is there to be? <clears throat> because everything, when you're creating, everything's new. So a new idea, a new concept, a new vision. <clears throat> Something pops in that you never thought before. And wow, that's funny. Or that's interesting. Or that's stupid. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> sometimes stupid is. Sometimes stupid is good. <laughs> sometimes, right. Well, sometimes, yeah. Recently, I listened to this uh, Dr. Quantum Presents Do-It-Yourself Time Travel. Now, I'd never heard that until just a few days ago. And what what really is the hook, what brings you into it, is in the beginning you start out with Alice in Wonderland in the film talking to the queen about, and the queen says something to her about, don't you remember the future? 
And Alice says, I, I don't know how to remember the future. And she said, of course you do. And you then took off uh, on the time travel. And that was a brilliant way uh, to connect us all to your material. So can you share some of this uh, time travel information with us? Well, the first thing that we have to do in order to understand time travel is to get some idea of what time is and what it isn't. And the idea that time is an ever-present stream or whatever analogy you have in your mind, all those things are just pictures. So that really the nature of time. We really don't know what time is. We have no idea. So the idea of traveling in time is just an idea based upon a picture we have of time. And this all comes about through Einstein. Uh, <clears throat> he was the first with the uh, with his ideas of relativity, his special theory of relativity, he was the first to come up with the idea that time can be envisioned as a spatial dimension. Actually, it was a professor of his, Herman Minkowski, that really made that into a visual idea. Einstein recognized that it was Minkowski that came up with the vision of space and time being one kind of thing called space-time. So just like you could travel backwards and forwards in space, the vision was you could travel backwards and forwards in time. So that was the notion of that idea. <clears throat> I did some more research on that, and I found out <clears throat> that ancient yogis practiced a kind of mental time travel. Uh, even uh, in the writings that... Uh, <clears throat> uh, Yogananda, not Yogananda, but uh, uh, the, the the head yogi, the guy that created all this stuff, um, he he had visions in which he could see his past lives and his future lives with just using his mind. And he sat under a, 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 a banyan tree, I can't remember that. Yes. Yeah, and had these visions. And uh, he was, uh, you know, the father of the whole uh, yoga kind of experience. Anyway, all those things were in my mind. And so I decided to try to make a kind of a, a guidebook to how you might try to do that. I'm not sure if it was very successful. And I myself have had flash forwards, and I know they come. Uh, <clears throat> not as often as memories, but they do come up. And so I imagine time is not as we imagine it to be, but something more deeply, more mystical and more spiritual than we might initially think of it. Well, this, yes, you made that clear, and you made it clear to uh, to all of us who have had those those premonitions are you feel like something's going to happen because so many of us know we think about someone and that person emails or picks up the phone and calls us and it's shocking so that's seeing in the future even though it's maybe a few days in the future that's the beginning of you to realize that we do pick things up that are incoming uh 
And we have to be totally open to, to all of the new things, particularly since quantum physics is so unique. Um, from what I understand, nothing is finished. Everything is still in the uh, completing stage. Uh, so that uh, that's what I took away from it, from some of the books I read. Is that true? Well, I don't know what you mean by complete. What <clears throat> when something is complete, what what does it look like? I have no idea. <clears throat> Let me give you a brief <clears throat> experience of time travel right now. Right now, yes. at this moment, okay. I'm going to give you a time travel experience, and you're going to realize what why it's a time travel experience at the moment. I want you to um, think of. Well, ask me a question. Think of any, talk about yourself. Just make up a sentence of any kind. Just talk to me. Okay. Um, make, I really love to uh, work with filmmakers. We talk about making films and about raising money to make films. That's okay, my stop, life. Stop. Okay. Oh, okay, stop. Stop right there. You realize that it took some time to make that sentence, right? Yes. One word came after the other. Okay. The word that comes next in your mind, where is it coming from? I don't know. The future. Memory? From my memory? No. It's coming from your future because you're creating a thought. Ah, from my future. So you're time traveling just by speaking. Right. I mean, you can say the words are coming from your past, but there's nothing in your past that's going to tell you what you're going to say next. What you're going to say next is coming up now, one after the other. Where else could that be coming from? You can say it would be immediate now, but now is a moment of time. And it takes time to make a word. So where did that word that you're making come from? It's coming from the future. So all radically... Everybody that thinks is time traveling. You don't I got think it. it that way because it's so it's so obvious. <clears throat> right, right. What fun! Right, just think of it differently. You're time traveling to create a thought, <clears throat> and if you think about right. creativity, is a kind of time travel. You're reaching into the future to create a picture that you're going to add to what you've already said to complete a thought, a vision, a movie, a frame of a movie, a scene, <laughs> an actor, which actor, where is that coming from? You may go back with your memory, but you're going to put this actor in a position that he hasn't been in before, or she hasn't been in before. She's never played that part before. Suddenly, there she is playing the Queen of England. But wait a minute. I had such and such reacting as a queen. Where why did I ever think of putting this actress or actor as the Queen of England? And so many creative ideas. This is, all come, this, this, this is what's going to appear in the future coming back to the present in order to make sense with the future. It's a two-way street. Future to present, present back to the future. Time travel. That's all there is really to it. Exactly right. 
they're going into the future to see the vision and deciding who would be the best person to put in that spot, that acting position, and then coming back in the now and choosing a name and then going after it. uh, And if they get it, they do. And if they don't, they get somebody else. And it's always the right thing, normally. Well, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. The point is that's what you're doing as far as as time travel is concerned. That's what you're doing. Right or wrong is... Another, <laughs> another time travel experience. How do you decide whether something is right or wrong? Where does that idea come from? So you go into the future, you see this actor playing that part, you say, oh, that stinks, I can't use that. Back to the present comes up. That's right or wrong. I mean, where does that come from? Everything is coming from the future. And you just, you just have, you see, people keep thinking they're, they're recreating the past. They're not. They're constantly reaching into the future. And it's, the future is nebulous. It doesn't have a fixed, firm, solid setting because nothing has a fixed, firm, solid setting. Even the fixed, firm, solid setting you think is what makes up the universe. Even that itself is not as solid as it appears to be. That's quantum physics, by the way. Yes, I remember that Novo show. Um, I think uh, something green did it. I've forgotten his first name. And uh, he would go in a bar and order a blue drink or a green drink. And she said, well, we'll see what you get. (laughs) Yes, Brian Green, yeah. He's a brilliant Brian Green, yes. Yeah, yeah, he's a wonderful presenter. and He has a wonderful mind for uh, uh, illustrating ideas. There, there are a lot of people like that. I'm, I'm glad to see more physicists like Brian who are coming out and making these ideas presentable to more people. Uh, bravo to many of the physicists who have come out, scientists have come out and attempted to speak to the general audience. You've got to make the scientific way of thinking applicable and available to everybody. And then it becomes part of our natural way of thinking. Yes, and and it's a very creative thing to do. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of time travel going into the future to decide if other people will even connect if they'll get it or not. And so yes, I get I get the time travel for creativity. What a wonderful way to look at it. Thank you. That's brilliant. Well, now, one more thing I'd love to hear. Um, Anything you want to share about your brilliant book, The Dreaming Universe? Because I recommend that my filmmakers take time to daydream about their film. And I've been saying this for years, but I never thought about it with the future and time travel. But basically, I always felt that daydreaming will help you to create the future you want. And daydreaming about your film would show you the results you would have if you moved on with the plan you have now. So what do you think about uh, dreaming from your book? Anything you want to share, we'd appreciate. Okay, well, let me explain what that book is really about. Uh, it's, It's really a look at what 
constitutes the dream as seen from an ancient, almost mystical point of view, Aboriginal, Australian Aboriginal point of view into uh, the modern dream research being done at places like Harvard. I interviewed several people doing dream research at Harvard when I was writing the book um, into a a vision of uh, what the purpose of dreams are. Why do we dream in the first place? And I came to the conclusion that dreaming is an instrument. It's, It's so necessary when you are in womb, when you are just a child, uh, there are many experiences that the child in womb is having. These experiences, these nudges, these uh, mother belching or uh, so many different experiences that are nudging you, getting you going, that what you're doing is trying to piece all that together. And since you're not really conscious yet, you're not awake uh, and conscious, all you're doing is dreaming. You're dreaming almost constantly. Uh, When you first emerge from the womb, I think you spend almost 17, 18 hours dreaming, a couple of hours awake, and that's about it. As time goes on, the dreaming drops down, and I don't have the exact timekeeper here in front of me, but and you become more and more reliable on your wake, so-called waking consciousness. So it seems a dream seems to be a very important part of what makes life. And what it's doing is it's developing a separation of self from other. So the big reason for the dream is this is me and that's not me. So the me, not me, I, not I is being created so that you have a way of looking at the world which is like you might call it the first illusion, that I am this and that is that, and we are separate. In actuality, you're all one. You're one universe. But the way you create that in order to make sense of it is to make an I-not-I separation. And that's, part, that's the dream. Now, there's more to the story. As I was doing this, doing this research and traveling around the world and whatnot, uh, I was having what I called lucid dreams. Uh, they began with all these travels I was doing. And one of my lucid dreams was a very strange one. I, uh, I woke up in a, in a room, and uh, the room was like a, the inside of the, uh, <clears throat> a how tube of some sort. It was like, like made of straw. Um, and I was in this room, and as I was looking around the room, there was a door on the other side of the room. It was a circular room, and I was on the other side, and I noticed that I just turned my mind, and I could suddenly start floating upward. So I knew it was I was having a dream, because <laughs> I know it's floating <laughs> up no outward. No, but, so I was floating upward, and then suddenly the door opened up, and a man walks in his room, and I said, "Oh, excuse me, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm having a dream. I'm having a lucid dream." He says, "I know. Come on down. I want to show you something." So this guy, speaking to me without words, mentally, whatever, takes me through the door and out into this huge, vast 
green land with trees and people. And it takes me into a, a, another circular place. So you like big circular stones in a big white circle. And people uh-huh. are sitting on people are sitting on these these stones, and it takes me into the center of the circle, and I'm looking around, thinking, "Where am I?" And suddenly, a woman stands up, and she says, "Who do you? Who are you? Where? What do you? Where do you think you are?" And as she approached me, her eyes started to spin, and that frightened me, and I said, "Well, I." I think I know where I am, and I want—I know how to get out of here. So I would begin yelling, because yelling is a way to wake up from a lucid dream. So I started screaming. The next thing I know is I wake up in bed next to my my partner at that time. Her name is Nancy. We were living in England. <clears throat> and I started telling Nancy all about my dream. Well, Nancy was very much involved with the Druids in England. So we went to a Druid meeting the next day. And I started telling the head druid, Thomas Maughan, the same was, started telling him about my dream. And he says, you weren't a good physicist there. What were you? I said, what are you, what are you talking about? He says, if you were a good physicist, you would have gotten our name and a phone number. Why didn't you get those things? You're you're not too good of a physicist, are you? So I said, I said, you're right. I didn't do very well, did I? And that was my, that was that was my druid telling me there's nothing unusual about what you did, but you didn't do it right. You should have asked, asked my God, more information. <clears throat> that yes. was my dream. Amazing, that, amazing, amazing, and the whole story is amazing. But that that is true. And uh, later on, I reconstructed what that dream was. I had gone to a place where people had committed suicides. This was a suicidal plane, and I was—I hadn't committed suicide, so my being there was kind of almost accidental, and that's why it became a very unusual dream because I reconstructed what these people were doing. Why were they sitting there? What? Why were they in that place? And I understood that they were waiting to reincarnate, that they had to go through a waiting period to check that when they reincarnate. By the way. When you reincarnate, you keep thinking you are going to reincarnate as you. Nothing is further than the truth. There is no you. You're going to, whatever is you is going to be quantum superposed with a lot of other so-called yous to make a blending of what might be called the new you. And that new you is what's born. That new you is what appears. And since all the old yous have been conscious before, because they all died, they all have the experience of being you when you when you wake up and are walking around in this world. And so what you're doing is you are really a village. Inside of you is a host of people. You're not just one individual. You're a village. And every one of these people in your village sometimes has different disagreements with others. And so you'll have people who are may have been very evil in previous lives and want you to do some stupid criminal activity, which is to cause nothing but harm to you and others. And there are people that are very angelic uh, who want to stop that and have arguments with you. So there's there's an argument going on inside of you, a conflict. 
do I do this? Do I do that? What's right? What's wrong? How do I do this? What, uh, how do, and when you get stuck in that kind of thinking, you become grounded into what the Buddhists call hell. Because hell is when you're in that thinking in which you're listening to the double sides of every argument. You can't do that. You have to make up your mind and drop it and move on and just watch it as if it's a movie. But don't invest in those new images which are appearing. All these are good ideas for a movie, aren't they? They are brilliant ideas, yes. The time travel is what I love. The time travel is so... uh, We're ready for a film like that. Remember Back to the Future? That was, what, 40 years ago. So, yes. All you're talking about uh, with this time travel and moving, uh, going into the future to create your thoughts is brilliant. That would be a fabulous film. Okay. We need you to get to uh, inspire some of these writers to do some of these films. This would be great. Well, Dr. Wolf, thank you. Thank you for your time and for your guidance and information and all the things you've contributed to us over the years. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, we love to. And Claire, I know you want to thank Dr. Wolf. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say, this has been um, a very intriguing conversation. Lot, a lot of things to think about. And um, I hope we get a chance to have you back on again in the near future and tell us about some of the new things that you're creating in the future as well. Okay. Okay. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Best Thank you. of luck. Thank you both. Okay. All right. Bye. Okay. Be well, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at FromTheHeartProductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.